Hey y'all, and welcome to another episode of It's Britney B Podcast, a show where you and I go on a journey and break down subjects that most of us want to talk about, listen to, or even want to be a part of. I'm your host, Brittany, and if y'all are ready, let's sit back, relax, and let's chat. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about turning 30. Let's talk about December 1st, 2022. Do you want to know a fun fact about this day? Do you really want to know the significance of this day? It's my birthday. And it's not just any birthday, my lovely humans. Oh no, this birthday is my dirty 30. And I've been having some mixed feelings about this milestone for a while now. And I started to realize that I was veering closer and closer to this new tri-life decade. And then I started to look at what I've done so far in my 20s. And every year I become more confused on what I wanted to do and what I'm supposed to do. We've all heard of the quarter century crisis at 25 and the classic midlife crisis, right? Can someone tell me where in the hell did 30 become a crisis category all of a sudden? I remember turning 20. Ugh, 10 years ago. Oh my gosh. Sorry, it's the amount of years for me. But let me just focus back on what I was saying before I sound dumb and contradict myself. But I remember the feeling of turning 20. First, I no longer had the word teen in my age. 20 is solid. 20 sounds more mature. Even though I was far from it, I felt like an adult. It was liberating. But when I really look back on being 20, I was an adult, yes. But I was an adult who could neglect my newly established adult needs. I definitely think that example alone is the reason why my 20s was such a party of a time. Whew, I miss those days. Just the fact of knowing everything, but actually not knowing I used to hear ignorance is bliss and knew what it meant, but I never put it in my own narrative. <laughs> I do now. I had this crazy ride in my 20s, and I can say I have always had fun. Shoot, most of my bad moments in my 20s stemmed from having fun. But 30? 30. 3 zero. Are those wild adventures and crazy chances I've always and still kind of take going to be there at 30? I, at 25, I started to look at myself and wonder, five years, I will be 30. Facebook said in that inspirational quote with Will Smith's face on it, as for aesthetic purposes, he never really like said it, I don't think. But this meme said 20s are for messing up. And the 30s are when you get your life together. This post had thousands of likes and hearts and all sorts of stuff. So obviously, there must be some sort of societal agreement in this crazy statement. Having everything figured out by 30? I'm 25 at this point of my gradual thought process of approaching 30. 30 is the first actual level of adulting. Yeah, your 20s? <laughs> that was a free decade subscription to adulthood. Now you are in adulthood having your card of life being charged. No more free subscriptions. What I meant by this dope metaphor I just thought of, in your 20s, you're an adult. But you can be a little bit more careless and irresponsible. And it's expected from you. Your 30s, well, according to society, you have to have it all figured out by then. Today, being newly 30 and hearing that ridiculous statement now, oh, Lord. I'm fine. I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. And you know why I'm doing fine? Because when I think about... What turning 30 meant to my mom, my pops, my brother, my best friends. I then realized 
that we are expected to have everything accomplished by 30. And between all of them, it shows that it's all changed over time. Being married, having kids, buying a home, having a dream career with a great salary and an incredible pension, that, that was my great adult life. My passion, however, was pursuing acting and singing. That dream was my shooting for the stars dream. Between those two dreams by 27, I was already a mother. I had a stable and secure job. I had a man. Oh, now I'm pregnant by this man. Okay, now we're married. I was falling more towards the societal home expectation by 30 because I already had the ingredients to make that happen. Little did I know, however, that these ingredients that I felt I had to accomplish this life-fulfilling life had some rotten ingredients. I'm sitting here trying to settle for a life that society expects me to have by a certain age. Well, guess what I found out, y'all? You know what? Let's play a game. I ask trivia questions. I pause for like a second. You answer the question either in your car, your bedroom, your job. It doesn't matter. I won't hear it anyway. And then I'll say the answer. Okay, let's play. In 1990, how old was the average male when he got married? Well, according to BGSU, that age was about 26 years old. Did you get that right? And now, how about in 1990, how old was the average female when she got married? According to BGSU, the age is about 20. Now, if we were to compare the age of people getting married now, males, the age today, went up to 30 years old according to Statista.com. And females went to age 28. The age for being a first-time parent went up a couple years. But I think it's because more people in their mid-30s and 40s are now having their first babies and getting married for the first time. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just wonder with all that change I just mentioned, why is there still an impending doom towards 30? Why is society putting in inputs and pressure on how and where you should be in 30? glamorizing the idea that you should have accomplished something amazing by 30. And it's so much damn pressure. The anxiety that is weighing heavy over you, that, my dear friends, is the lovely feeling that we are running out of time. How do you grow up when you literally see that carefree, easy part of adulting now fading away? Like, what have I done in my life? I can't sit here and say I haven't done fun and amazing things that led me to incredible experiences. Both all those things happened on crazy spontaneous moments, which fun fact about me, spontaneity is one of my top five characteristics about me. Am I going to have that same drive so that I can have those same experiences? I have to be mature right now, but I'm not ready to really let go of my free adulthood in my 20s subscription yet. But wait, I'll just make a chart of things that I will accomplish in my 30s. Then I know that I can accomplish these goals at a specific age. I mean, this method didn't work in my 20s, but I'm more mature now, so it should be fine. So I am a recent divorcee. And when I was in my I'm free stage after the divorce, I then started to think, well, I would like to get married again. Have a do-over. I don't know. Maybe I can get it right this time. Whatever that means. But I just got divorced at 29. And I'm sticking to my guns about not being with someone because I need to love me. 
but I don't want to get married no later than 34, definitely not 35. So I need to be strategic about this. Well, I need to heal from men for about two to two and a half years max. Then I'll meet a guy and let's say we vibe, right? Just fast forward, okay? I need to date him for about two years before marriage. And then after a proposal, we have about a year to get married after the proposal. It's like no matter how you see it, we have to grow up in a world where you are told more often than not, we have a deadline to get our shit together. I just noticed so many people I knew that were the same age as me having weddings, then after that having a baby, doing cute holiday crap, and posting it on Facebook, then they buy a puppy and then they buy a house. I literally hit reset at 29 when I got divorced. The details can be discussed in a later episode, but I hit reset at 29. Overall, dreams did not change. The only thing that did change was the amount of time that I have left to get my dreams so that I can still be young when I want to enjoy it. To be an actress and win an Oscar, Emmy, and or Tony. Remember, that was my main dream. But I was so busy trying to be 20 and enjoy my freedom, be a mom, work full time, go towards a career that would be more realistic than my acting job, being married, trying to keep that shit rack afloat. By the time I look, I'm already 27, two kids deep, married, great job, and I still do not feel accomplished with these milestones that have happened in my life so far. I'm doing all the domestic things that I wanted to do in my life before 30. I mean, not in the traditional chronological way, but still the same things nonetheless. Why did I not feel accomplished still? Why am I comparing my life to others my age? Why does this matter so much? 30 should not be an expected structure with a deadline to anyone. We should be able to embrace our failures. It takes us 20 plus years to even semi understand who we really are. And then by 10 years or less, we have to have that figured out. You should not have to be any better or any worse. You can still deal with failures in your 30s and not feel so ashamed because you are 30. Maybe, I don't know, if we can make it seem like you don't have to only get things done in your 20s in order to fulfill yourself in today's world, maybe decades and decades of millions of people wouldn't have the anxiety about a damn double-digit number. Okay, so let's be real for a minute. Let's just kick this door down and look at this elephant in the freaking face and look at him in the damn eyes and face the fact, if you really think about it, our 20s were disgusting. Maybe not for everybody, but I like to think I hung out with a lot of people in my 20s and I did some pretty crazy stuff. Sorry, mom and dad. And I know I was a disgusting, gross party animal slash mom during the week. And then when she went to her dad's and like a gremlin, if you give me alcohol after midnight, <laughs> Tony, if you're listening to this, remember seeing me in the mornings after I went out? <laughs> Tony's my best friend slash soul sister. She's been stuck with me since we were nine, y'all. Shout out to Antoine and my other best friend, her husband, Coco. His name's not really Coco. It's Corey, but he's weird about me talking about his name and stuff. <laughs> but yes, I was super ratchet. My life was messy. It was chaotic. It was fun. It was sad. It was scary. A lot of the time, angry. But I like to think that's what made my 20s so great. All the good and the bad and the ugly, the embarrassment, everything made this journey in my life spectacular today. I'm the type of person who loves to put as much food on her plate during Thanksgiving because I want to try everything. And I think that is how I apply living my life. I was able to work so many extraordinary jobs in my 20s. My uncle's shop, McDonald's, 
retail, medical. I was a teacher, you guys, a teacher to adults. Modeling, acting, laboratory minion, bartender. I met a lot of amazing people and made a lot of connections. I also did a lot of things that people wanted you to do in your life on society standards. Getting married, having kids, having a good stable job. But then I got divorced, filed for bankruptcy, and went to college. I mean, I did all of that and realized that only half of what I mentioned was really worth having. And that's my kid, my job, and college. I didn't do any of those things in the traditional order, but I like to hit shuffle on my life playlist. Keeps things spontaneous. And that works for me. Because I'm 30 now, and I can confidently say right now that I am happy to see how much farther of my peace I can find. I think 30 is the age where we start to understand who we are. I'm more comfortable now. You would think otherwise if you saw me on the day-to-day, but I love being busy, and I suck at being punctual. But I am going to change that narrative about me. Just stay tuned. But my point is, 30 is not the age where it is the end-all, be-all of your youth. Maybe it's our youth understanding the maturing and happiness we want And after people-pleasing for most of our lives, a.k.a. our parents, teachers, friends, significant others, etc., I felt like I had to have control of me. I'm doing what I want for me and what makes me feel good in life. And I have to say, you guys, I mean, it's a pretty good feeling. I can't tell anyone how to feel about 30. All of our scenarios in life are different. However, I do feel that we should try to understand that life will be chaotic forever no matter what age. I think we instilled this thought process that life will be completely figured out by a certain age. And I don't think anyone will truly have everything understand until you're moments away from death. When your mind is able to categorize moments in life of what you thought was important but wasn't, and what you thought wasn't important but was. What made you a shitty human being and what made you a good person, not where you should be at by 30. I think... As long as you go down the path of life and you're chasing your dream, there will be no time limit. There are no limitations. There are alternative solutions that can detour you for a second, but you end up back on your path. 30 is not a crisis. It's a reincarnation of a stronger and more durable model of yourself. So enjoy this ride now because you will get old eventually. But 30 is not that number. So in conclusion, my lesson of walking out of our 20s and into our 30s for me is stop separating what you want to do and what you're supposed to do and realize that they go hand in hand. On this journey, you'll understand throughout your life where you want to be and where you feel you should be. You are living for you, not society, and definitely not for a number. Well, you guys, thank you for sitting with me on another episode of It's Britney B, the show where you and I go on a journey and break down topics that most of us want to talk about, listen to, or even want to be a part of. I'm your host, Britney. I want to say thank you to Dedalian for producing today's show and a thought for today, or more like a lifetime, really. Life is short. Live it. Love is rare. Grab it. Anger is bad. Dump it. Fear is awful. Face it. Memories are sweet cherish it. This thought of the day goes out to my dear friend Felipe. May you have a Felipe day every day. Love you. Also, don't forget to stay tuned for new episodes. And to stay up to date with the latest episodes, go to lccconnect.com or 
to keep in touch with the upcoming episodes and chances to be interviewed on my show, go to my new Facebook page called It's Brittany B. Capiche? Capiche? Cool. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. This is LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College has been a proud collaborator of the Lansing Promise Scholarship since 2012. The Lansing Promise Scholarship offers graduating high school seniors who live within the Lansing School District and attend a high school within district boundaries an opportunity to attend LCC. Since its inception, over 1,000 enrolled students have saved over $2 million, earning over 400 degrees and certificates as well as 30,000 credits at LCC. For more information on the Lansing Promise Scholarship, please visit lcc.edu hope. Hey, there he is. How's it going? I'm having a stroke. Are you going to shake my hand or what? I'm having a stroke. Wow, you're not even moving your arm. I'm having a stroke. Are you okay? I'm having a stroke. Your face looks weird too. I'm having a stroke. Are you having a seizure or something? I'm having a stroke. When someone is having a stroke, they may not be able to say it with words, but their body language will tell you loud and clear. I'm having a stroke. You just need to know the sudden signs. Look for FAST, F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. Or S, speech difficulty. Then T, time. Time to call 911 immediately. Because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. Know the sudden signs. Face, arm, speech, time. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. On January 16th, the city of Lansing will be holding a Martin Luther King Jr. Day celebration at the Lansing Center. Event organizers are looking for individuals to fill and work several positions for this one-day event. All participants will receive financial compensation and be provided with food and beverages for the day. The Martin Luther King Jr. Day celebration, Monday, January 16th. To find out more information about working this event, call 517-316-7907. That's 517-316-7907. The Lansing Community College Foundation provides scholarships that make education possible, change students' lives, and uplift our community. Students may apply for scholarships November 1st through January 31st. Learn more at lcc.edu scholarships. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. It's time for Stars on Sports, a podcast radio show dedicated to sharing stories about our athletic program at Lansing Community College. LCC Athletics has a strong tradition. 23 national championship wins. Over 170 All-Americans. 19 MCCAA All-Sports Trophies. Stars on Sports will introduce you to individuals that have contributed to our program's success and give you the backstory on what it takes to develop it. We'll also dive into and break down the topics and issues facing athletic departments across the nation and right here at LCC. This is Stars on Sports.
I am Greg Laddig. Welcome back. I'm here with Stephen Cutter, our assistant AD, and today we're going to talk about being thankful and, and giving back to the community. We are taping this episode before Thanksgiving, most likely you'll hear it after, but um, we're going to talk about how our athletic program can give back. We're going to talk about how our program is impacted by our calendar and then just have some general discussion at the end. But we're excited to be here and, and talk more about LCC Sports. So how are you doing today, Steve? I am excellent. Thank you. Good to hear. Again, as I talked about, you know, we're very fortunate to be in this profession and, you know, a lot of people out there that support our program and a lot to be thankful for with the holiday season coming up. And I know a big emphasis of, of your program and, and our athletic program overall is giving back to, to our community. As we've talked about before, you know, we want to excel in the classroom. We want to excel on the athletic field. We want to, you know, be a part of the college and be a part of this community. So today, you know, I thought we could talk a little bit about how our athletic program is is an integral part of the downtown Lansing community. You have uh, implemented some programs for our athletic program to, to be involved in the community. You know, it's exciting to give, as you and I both agree, the more you give, the more you get back in return. So any thoughts on, on community service where, where it became important to you or how it became such an integral, it's a core value of, you know, to, to your baseball program. So, and, I, and again, for our athletic program as a whole. Yeah, I think overall, I'm really thankful to just have a job. And then it goes from there. I think uh, anytime that you can have an opportunity to impact lives, our student athletes are anywhere from 17 to 21 years old. So it's a, it's a prime time to impact them. You can get too caught up in the X's and O's of sports and f kind of forget that there are people and they are going to be leaders in their in their households, in their communities and everything that they do. So what we've done in the baseball program is it's it's a part of who we are. We've we're teaching service based leadership. And if you're willing to serve others at a very, very low level, it, it makes them feel better at the lowest of, you know, low levels in that service piece. And at the higher levels, they are, they're actually impacting a number of people that maybe are less fortunate or have had a few bad breaks or whatever it might be. And that is um, more of that impact piece. So we're leaving them with more things than just wins and losses in a season. They're, they're leaving with uh, truly impacting their community. And we live in the capital city. And so there, there's a lot of opportunities here. There's a lot of need, whether it's with businesses or, or anything else, that they're, they're looking for help. And the baseball team is large. It's, you know, 45 plus members. So when we can come into a situation and help, it's a lot of help when you have that many hands. And uh, it, it is a special thing. And, you know, and it sure is. And you're right. It is, it is impactful. And, you know, we sometimes focus too much on, on the competition, which is impactful to our student athletes in their lives. I mean, I'm always pleased that, you know, they can handle learn how to handle life lessons and adversity on the playing field. But but this is a, the community they live in. And, and all our programs have do some type of community service and, and most goes unrecognized, which is the what it should be. But you know, it is nice, you know, being involved in the community. And that's one of the, the things that excites me about the holiday season. It just seems like our society as a whole makes that important and a need and, and a way to get back, paying it forward. 
you know, always it seems like at this time of year on the radio that always says, hey, pay for the person, you know, drive through behind you, which my wife is really good at. But, you know, those are good lessons that, that we can teach, teach our student athletes to, to be a part of the community that supports them. And, and, you know, you know, we need a lot of support in athletics. You know, there's a lot of behind the scenes things that take place for us to be successful. You know, businesses supporting us financially or, or parents and spectators being there to cheer, how important that is and how, you know, sometimes we take for granted that a little moral support from a crowd can, can help help us perform better. You know, the workers, you know, the officials that take a lot of criticism, but you know, we can't have events without, without any of that support. And it's nice to, to have our student athletes kind of show that in, in another way in the community that, that they are part of. Thinking back on my own history, um, a quick story. We went to a special Olympics basketball game, my former principal and I, and we were in Panera Bread and the guy in front of me's credit card wouldn't work, you know, and he's like panicking and, and figuring out what to do. So he walked away to go try and find somebody to, to get him paid for. And I went up and, and paid for it, you know, not thinking anything, just thinking the right thing to do. And, you know, everyone thought, man, wow, what a, what a gesture. And the, the lady wanted to give me my meal free. The guy wanted to give me more money than the meal was worth when he found money. And you know, I just always use that story as, you know, just doing something little that, you know, you just taught to do by your parents or your teachers or or, or somebody and you give something and you know I almost got more in return and I did get more and how I felt when I left that place my principal sent a nice thank you to me afterwards about doing the right thing and you know just trying to again carry that over and teach that to to our student athlete that you know sometimes you know they're busy and, and time is tough but taking the time to, to go out in your community and contribute goes a long way for yourself and for your community. So I hope we can really um, install that. I know we have our, our cross country and, and softball teams will be working the turkey trot this weekend, you know, helping out there and so many other ways that, you know, helping out at the local schools, which we want to do even more or, or the other community centers in Lansing that just makes sense for us to be a part of and help others in, in the field of athletics growing up or um, just in life in general. Any um, other things real quick that the baseball team has coming up with community service? We always have something. Mm -hmm. it, it's just like, uh, you know, practice or study tables or mm -hmm. anything else. We, we always have something. We've done an incredibly um, large amount of impactful things uh, for our community and for our student athletes here on the baseball team. A couple of them that are a little bit deeper that you're not going to see anywhere. Uh, we've done stuff that's been on the news and been promoted, and that kind of defeated a little bit of what we were trying to do. But we're working with big brothers and big sisters. All of our baseball players are bigs, so that is a large impact on a number of young men in our community. Good, that's good. Uh, one of the more special things that uh, our, our program is doing. Excellent. Excellent. And, and as we talk about community service and time, you and I have over time have talked about our calendar and how it's different than the nine to five business calendar, you know, with Thanksgiving coming up, 
because again, this is being pre-recorded. Um, you know, some of our student athletes, you know, that are far farther away, don't even, you know, get to go home just because of the schedules or we have games or practices over those breaks. So it, it's just a different commitment. And, you know, one of the things we always hear from our student athletes is, is time management. That's one of the most difficult things they have to learn when they get here. And we're very fortunate at LCC that we have academic success coaches that help them out and give them strategies and, and help them with those issues. But, you know, you and I have talked about in the entertainment business, which, you know, you could consider athletics where our games are at night, our games are on the weekends and practices over or holiday breaks and just a year round now, a very unusual calendar that maybe other people, you know, go and watch at that night for enjoyment, but don't realize that we're working or, or something is going on that we have to worry about or take care of that. It's just different, and but something we're used to, something we've been a part of for a long time, so we don't know any other way. Looking at this podcast, I look back in history, and calendars have been around for thousands of years, and, and so have sports and society. Uh, you know, gladiator fighting 2,000 years ago. But, you know, some little tidbits, you know, 35% Saturday their favorite day, and, you know, Saturday is also one of our busiest days of, of athletic competition. A lot of people prefer a four-day week nowadays. Some countries going to that, but that wouldn't work for us. So, you know, we we use seven days, you know, and that's not enough. You know, the calendar is very interesting to to athletics. You know, we embrace it. We don't we don't know anything different. But um, share a little bit about from a coach's perspective. Uh, you know, a, a calendar and you know how it impacts families and, and student athletes that might be different than the the general student body. Yeah, I think it's becoming a little more normal just because youth sports are so huge in America that people are getting used to missing dinners and being at practices. And those Monday nights uh, look much like their Saturday nights do. They're, they're constantly busy. So it's a little more normal. I think more people can relate to that piece of it. But ultimately, in sports, if, if you're going to continue to play at higher levels or even at the youth level... In order to get something, you have to give up something. And so with that being said, uh, some people call that sacrifices. I tend to lean towards uh, calling those investments instead of sacrifices. But if you're going to try to do something well, you're going to have to give up some stuff to get that. And so athletes, a lot of times student athletes are, are giving up quite a bit. And, you know, we have we have not all of our kids on our baseball team are from the Lansing area. So we have kids that are from across the state. Uh, Thanksgiving's coming up. They won't be going home for a couple days because it's just not feasibly possible. It's not that they don't want to. It's just not financially possible to pull that off. So they'll be here. People don't necessarily see that. Um, You know, we have sports teams that are playing during the holidays, you know, with basketball over, you know, during the Christmas time. And um, those are those sacrifices uh, um, or investments on depending on how you want to look at them. But that's what that's what happens with student athletes. Agree. And some of it we get criticism for, maybe rightfully so. I mean, some of us blame us for not having family dinners or our Sundays are, are taken away because of athletics. So there's a balance there. But to your point, you know, in, in the book, The Outliers talks about, you know, mastering something it takes like 10,000 hours, I believe. And so to achieve each level, you, you have to, to put in the time. We're definitely impacted and benefit from that, but I hope all our teams and our student athletes take time to 
to themselves and get some some rest and relaxation. But it is a calendar that you know we have bought into and and invest in and and embrace and. I don't know anything other way. I mean, I've been doing it for 25 years. It's, it's my dollhood. When I started in this business, we had certain days off because of exams or we didn't have games on Wednesday nights because of church or didn't play on Sundays. But as you mentioned, as more and more people participated and more teams took place, you need to find time for them. So Wednesday became the first thing. And then, you know, hey, no one's playing on Sunday, so let's use Sundays now. And from the growth of, of sport participation that we are using all those days and, and our society has bought into it and good and bad. Um, so hopefully, you know, I think I worry because even for some of our workers, it's getting harder and harder to find because they're so busy being involved in, in with their own families and and not just athletic. There's other professions that, you know, that takes this kind of time to be a professional at it if that's your goal or participate, even like music or theater are one that come to mind too, but very similar to the athletic schedule and not the traditional nine to five. So, you know, I hope as we come up to this holiday season, regardless of celebration, at least, you know, you can find time to be with family and find time to get a little rest and, and your own time. Cause you know, that's very important too, is, is time to yourself. Yeah. I mean, we talked baseball before. I mean, it, you know, it's summer too. I mean, there's summer ball, two seasons. I'm not sure everyone realizes a fall and winter season. So a lot going on constantly, and um, hopefully a lot of good things come from that, as we believe. We've been bested in this profession because we believe of, of what it, how it helps students become successful in life. But definitely this time of year, I hope you know there's, there's time for, for other things, too. Yeah, I think it's it's just hard. Yeah, you it know, is. It, it's, it's though the things that you're, you're missing, the things that... Um, you give up for larger impacts on people. It can become a difficult thing, whether you're a student athlete or you're a coach. There are a lot of investments that you're working through. Yeah, especially, you know, the leaders of those groups, coaches, do I worry about? Because they're working even more when just the, the normal structured time that is available. You gave me a, a nice little document in the last week, about 24 hours in a day. And of that 24 hours, you really have, if you take out rest and work or, or school, you have six hours really in a day to be productive. And we're both of the growth mindset of trying to get better and learn every day. And, you know, you think six hours, that's a lot. And I know I have to do better myself thinking I don't, I don't maximize that six hours a day. And, you know, at midnight I'm reading or when family goes to bed, I'm trying to, you know, listen to more podcasts and such. But time has always been one of my most baffling things. You know, you can steal it. You, it goes fast. It goes slow. You lose it. It's a very valuable resource that we, I think, take for granted. And, and again, and, and I don't think it's realistic that you maximize all six hours of, of that day. But the more you do of that six hours, the the more it'll help you grow and be better, which, you know, we're trying to do and trying to, to teach our student athletes. Yeah, I do. think it's your, they say that the average American spends at least an hour a day scrolling through social media. If you're able to eliminate that piece of it, that's seven hours a week, and that equates over to 28 hours a month. Think about what you can do in 28 hours in a month. 
so and that's just an hour you know that that's just an hour so with our student athletes one thing that we've done is because there's a lot going on what it doesn't matter what sport you're playing in there is a lot of things going on it's not just practicing games there's a ton of things going on and so a lot of, especially freshmen they come in they're used to their high school seasons their high school seasons are much smaller or at least shorter mm-hmm. And the some of the commitments aren't as much. And they come in and one of the first things they say is, I don't have time. And most of the most of it is they're not saying they don't have time for their sport. They're saying, I didn't have time to write that paper. Uh, I didn't have time to to go to that class. That that's in reality what typically happens. So we started, or I started doing uh anytime I heard I don't have time, because ultimately that's an excuse, pull out your phone show me what your average screen time is a day. And you, your mind would be blown when those phones come out because it, it's usually um, they're averaging about six to seven hours on that phone. So if you can cut that down, maybe it's just an hour, you know, cut, cut it down a little bit. You, you, you're trying to tell me you didn't have, you know, 45 minutes for class or that hour to write that paper. And that's the end of the discussion at that point, because it's the reality piece um, somewhat hits them. And it's showing them the reality. And my fear is that's only going to go up because I think it's so hard for students to get off that phone. But you're right. It's just showing them that reality and showing them how to, to manage that time, which, again, we're fortunate we have resources also on this college that, that help them with that. But We would have been the same way if, if when we were kids if we would have had the phone. Yep. I mean, we would have been Thankful the same. And we would have hopefully had people out there showing us, like, Hey, you need to take a break here. It, it's going to be helpful because you get a ton of on the phone. You're looking at it and you're you're using the comparison thing, and at, you, they're scrolling, they're seeing in their comparison, comparing whatever they're seeing to themselves. And a lot of times, that doesn't make people feel good, and that's not a, a great situation to be in either. So if you can cut some of that out and do something a little more productive, we're not talking about taking taking it away forever. Mm-hmm. Just, just talking about an hour a day. Well, I look forward to that text I get every Sunday telling me if my screen time was up or down from last week. And I get mad when it's up. I work so, hard to get it down so what's every your, week. So what, what's your time on uh, average? Probably two to three hours. Really? Like I have so many different devices, so I don't know how accurate it is. Okay. But I try not to be on. I'm not on it at all um, during the day at work. I'm usually on it at night when I get home to check my email, to, to check the news for the day, and, and then just search some, some sports right. stuff or watch podcasts. But, you know, I, I have children, so I know how difficult it is. You know, one of the best tips I learned that from one of those shows on Netflix is turn off your notifications. Because if you get notifications, it seems like that draws you right to the phone. So I don't have really any app that, that notifies me that it's, you know, there's something there for me to look at. But, again, I can do better, and I try every Sunday to, if my, you know, to be less than I was last time. And I'm not successful, and there's some weeks that you know, I, I am frustrated with my own self of being on it more than, than I should. And you're right, when I was younger, I would probably, if I had one, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I have one now, though. It's very helpful for work. But I also feel in our business it, 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 it's been a challenging thing because before cell phones, it gave time to people to debrief before they could contact people where now 
if you're frustrated, you can reach to your phone and share that frustration. You know, we have a 24 hour rule in sports, but it's much harder to implement nowadays because of the cell phone, because everyone's right there. And I didn't, can I didn't know their, that 24 hour rule was still followed. I, th I think <laughs> that was more of an old school kind of thing. And I don't think I don't think there's a it's not followed. But I'm telling you, it's a good thing because, again, emotions are high after events, whether practice or game. And if you can go home and just take a breath and refocus and rethink about it, it, it might help you handle the situation better. And I just think, you know, that's one of the challenges we deal with when when you have a communication tool right there that you can share something without having time to reflect or or calm down so you're right there is no there's you, there's no 20 there's not a 24 second rule anymore because of of our our technology you so, spent a, a long time at the high school level mm -hmm. do you think cell phones should be in high schools um, you know, they're valuable. And, and again, back to what's practical. I mean, some teachers use apps or use, you know, the great calculator on there. But just like anything in life, it comes down to balance with it or in moderation, because you can use them. I mean, if, to, to check things or such, but in the classroom, per se, probably not as much use or more minimal. But, you know, the funny thing to me is, you know, when you used to go to the doctor's office, they used to have all those magazines there and, and you'd read them now. I mean, everyone's on their cell phone to, to look busy or they're not by themselves or something. And uh, you can watch a movie while you're, you know, waiting for a doctor's appointment and such. So, um, we, we I, somewhat live in a society now that if you're sitting on a park bench, um, and you're just looking around at nature, you, you look a little bit weird, you know, that True. you're, yeah. are you lost? Do or you not what? have a cell yeah. phone? Right, right. <laughs> Do you need a friend? Right. Uh, because that's the automatic turn to now. Mm -hmm. if, if we're bored or we got, we've got a minute, we, we turn to the phones. The, because we're talking about the phones, it does play into um, student athletes and really monitoring that before competition. Because there's a piece of, to locking into a focus of what you're getting ready to do or what, what you're supposed to do, what your job might be. And if you're on your phone, uh, most everything that I just said isn't going to happen. And then you've got the comparison piece coming in where maybe you just saw something of somebody else that was your age and was driving a Ferrari or something. You're thinking, I'm, I've got my dad's beater car and here I am getting ready to, to play a basketball game the day after Christmas, you know. And, and there's a lot of positives from phones. I mean, we can video games, we can live stream games, we can, there's apps for scorekeeping in games. But, I mean, we've seen in the last year where professional athletes have had phones fall out of their pockets or, you know, on the sidelines there. And just like anything else, you know, that in my belief in athletics is once you step on the court, it's a different kind of focus, you know, you, you work harder, you become more competitive. And then when you step off the court, it, it's a different parameters and set of, of structure to follow. But so, yeah, I think there's a place and I'm sure the classroom, you could argue that those same set of per parameters occur. I, I believe the sports field are classrooms. So I'm glad I don't have to make those decisions whether cell phones should be in school. I've been a part of those and it's a battle. I mean, especially as important, I mean, there's, you know, Growing up, a car with you know getting a car would have been most important to us. Nowadays, they'd rather have a cell phone over a car, I believe. So I'm I'm just glad you know 
we have to deal with it in our jobs, even with our own student athletes, you know, going to check at practice, you know, real quick on a break or something. And you just, you just try and teach them, you know, the, the goods and bads and the, the moderations and, the, and, the, and being able to focus on, on the task at hand. So I don't want to pick on cell phones today. We use them a lot of, of good for them too, but you know, good stuff, good stuff. Well, the World Cup's going on right now. You, you follow it all. It's, you know, the largest sporting event in the world. 50% of the, the world watches it. Um, I must be the other 50%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I watched the U.S. You know, in their first game, and, and it's a high level of, of sport. It's, 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 it's good stuff. It's soccer, and I'm, you know we don't have it yet here at LCC. It's definitely a sport we're looking at in the future. It seems to be a growing sport, and I think the World Cup, when that comes around, it adds to it. But you know, there's a lot of things you can take from the World Cup that we can we can talk in the future as as you know that tournament wraps up. All right, well, excellent. Always enjoy talking, you know, athletics and and educational athletics with you with your coach. So we will wrap this up and be back soon with with even more Stars on Sports. Stars on Sports is recorded live at the WLNZ studios. Engineering and production assistance are provided by Didalian Lowry. You can listen to this episode and other episodes of Stars on Sports on demand at lccconnect.org. To find more information about our athletic program, visit lccstars.com. Thanks for listening. Go Go Stars! Featuring the faculty, staff, students, and others that help to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. LCC Connect, Mid-Michigan's connection to Lansing Community College. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Engaged learning and academic success is a priority at Lansing Community College. To help students navigate their educational career, LCC has created a proactive approach to learning and providing students with several academic support services. To find out what's available, visit lcc.edu services. Looking for future leaders we can trust and believe in? Look no further than the high school student-athletes right here in Michigan. High school sports teach young people how to be effective leaders. It begins by making their grades and being on time for practice. It includes learning to listen, following directions, accepting responsibility, being a good role model. And it's about respect for officials, opponents, the rules, and each other. The result, it transcends sports. It gives us hope for the future. High school sports, there's so much more than just a game. This message presented by the Michigan High School Athletic Association and the Michigan Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. 
Lansing Community College's Fresh Start program forgives outstanding student balances, allowing students to re-enroll without penalty. Fresh Start does not apply to student loan creditors. Learn more at lcc.edu slash fresh start. Hi, I'm Melissa Kaplan, and I host a show called Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. It's all about the creativity in our classrooms and on campus here at LCC and the connections we have with the community. You can catch Galaxy Forum here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Welcome to The Safety Plan, the show where I cover the latest cyber scam and how to avoid it on LCC Connect, Voices, Vibes, Vision. I'm Paul Schwartz, and I'm happy that you are here. Let's do this. Now, this morning, my daughter was singing Hey Ya by Outkast, and now that song is stuck in my head. I, I guarantee you've heard it. It starts with Hey Ya. Hey, uh, you think you've got it. Oh, you think you've got it, but you got it. Just don't get it. And there's nothing at all. We get together. Ooh, we get together. But my kid was singing with cybersecurity words. He, it was like this. You think you've got a tax refund. Oh, you think you've got it, but you don't get it. And there's nothing at all. Obviously, the college has allowed me budgetless artistic freedom on this show, and I will take advantage of that position. So welcome to the Safety Plan Show. Here's the format. I will describe a real world cyber scam like phishing or malware or identity theft or scareware and so forth. Second, I will explain why it could happen to you. And third, how to protect yourself so it doesn't happen to you. So why should you listen to the Safety Plan episodes? First, I want to share my cybersecurity knowledge with you so you can learn and grow from it. Second, a community knowledgeable in cyber scams will not fall for them in the future. And third, if people start practicing good cyber practices in their lives and at home, then they practice those same skills at work, which makes your business or company or local community college more secure. So win, win, win. Yes. Okay. I am Paul Schwartz and I am the LCC Director of Information Security and I coordinate security issues for the college. I've worked in cybersecurity for 27 years, including 20 years in the Air Force before ending up at LCC. And I wear a tie to work so people think I know stuff, which proves I am smart. S-M-R-T smart. Okay, so today we're going to talk about tax return fraud. And a celebrity lawyer in Lansing, Mike Gressens, argued with me a few weekends back that a show on tax refund fraud will be as boring as, as, as eating chips on the air. So I want to do a test. First, I will eat chips on the air. How do you like this, Mike? Okay, now I will tell you about the tax return fraud and let you determine which one is more exciting. Victims of tax refund fraud usually first learn of the crime after having their returns rejected because scammers beat them to it. Even those who are not required to file a tax return can be victims of refund fraud, as are those who are not even due a refund. One of the main reasons for tax refund fraud is that it takes so little information to file a false return, just your name, the date of birth, and a social security number, which were probably stolen during the 2017 Equifax breach, or numerous breaches since then. 
Now, the first thing I want to talk to you about is before you file, what you need to do. And the first step is keep your eye on your information. So don't carry your Social Security card or other information contain your Social Security number with you. Don't give businesses your Social Security number just because they ask for it. Give it to only ones that require it. And take a look at your Social Security earnings statement each year. And if that number is off, you're going to need to investigate it. Two of the most common ways to steal sensitive data are dumpster diving and mail theft. Investing in a crosscut shredder and a lockable mailbox will help eliminate those risks. And finally, you need to practice good cyber hygiene. Use firewalls and antivirus software. Update your computer with security patches. Don't overshare on social media. Practice good physical protection measures. And use good computer operational security. This means browsing widely, wisely, not opening unsolicited email links or attachments, not using torrent downloads, using a password manager with unique passwords. I think each one of these will probably be covered in a future episode by me. Next, do not email your W-2 or any other confidential information. Email is the equivalent of a postcard. Everyone can see it. If you must send your Social Security over email, you need to encrypt it with a product like 7-Zip or some other encryption like in Microsoft Office. You can also download your W-2 onto an encrypted thumb drive or to, a, say, a, a, a more secure site. Now, next, you should consider putting on a credit freeze. Now, credit freezes are free. A credit freeze allows you to restrict access to your credit report and protects your personal information. By preventing creditors from viewing your information, this prevents new lines of credit from being opened in your name, as creditors do not often extend credit without being able to view a credit report. Now, once you're ready to file an income tax return, here's the things you need to do. First and most important, you need to file before the fraudsters do it for you. Your primary defense against becoming the next tax income fraud victim is to file your taxes at the state and federal level as quickly as possible. Now, this year, IRS will begin accepting federal tax returns on January 24th. As soon as you have everything you need to file, don't waste any time getting the job done. Second, Get an IRS IP PIN. Now, IP PIN stands for Identity Protection Personal Identification Number. Now, this is a program you can opt into, and it provides you a six-digit number uh, to help prevent the misuse of your Social Security number on fraudulent federal income tax returns. So if you have this IP PIN, this helps the IRS verify your identity, and they won't accept a paper or electronic tax return without that IP PIN. So it prevents other people from filing taxes for you. Third, use a credible tax preparer. You should be aware of tax preparation firms that claim they can obtain larger refunds than any other preparer who base their fee on a percentage of the amount of the refund. And, and they also ask consumers to sign, say, a blank tax form or they refuse to provide a, you know, prepare a tax identification number or copies of the tax returns or charge you outrageous fees. Those are all red flags on non-credible tax preparers. Fourth, now you should also watch out for tax-related companies. These are legit-looking companies that claim to be able to free consumers from tax liens or wage garnishments and levies and unbearable monthly payments, and they have upfront fees of $3,000 to $25,000. And other companies claim to be able to settle debts to the IRS for pennies on the dollar, and yet others will claim to give you an advance on your refund, but will never hand, out, hand over the balance of the money. 
Instead of paying big upfront fees to shady tax relief firms, consumers who have trouble paying taxes should contact the IRS or their state comptrollers directly. The IRS has a taxpayer advocate service. It's a, this is an independent office within the IRS that helps provide you know, help and advice to consumers having trouble paying their federal taxes. Consumers experiencing difficulties paying state taxes should contact the National Association of State Auditors, Comptrollers, and Treasurers. That's the NASAA. And they'll have guidance on how to help with state taxes. Next, don't use insecure Wi-Fi. Skip using that Wi-Fi at the coffee you know, house or the hotel or the fast food locations to file your taxes online. These locations are prime places for hackers to intercept and steal your personal information. Next, use direct deposit for refunds. It is recommended that you use the option of getting your refund via direct deposit versus a check so criminals can't have it redirected to their address or steal it from your mailbox. And finally, keep your eye on your information. I know I've talked about that before, but it's so important. Do not leave your tax returns or any of the key paperwork in your car or on your kitchen counter or on the top of the desk at home, so forth. So how do you tell if you're a victim of tax fraud? So here's the steps. First, again, keep your eyes wide open. You need to be alert when you see information that doesn't make sense, such as a rejection notification from the IRS stating that you have already filed a return. Next, regularly request a free copy of your credit report. Be aware that the bank and investment and credit accounts. Be aware of your accounts and what the numbers are and the balances. Identity thieves will open new accounts under your name and have the bills sent to them and spend the money without your consent. By law, consumers are entitled to a free copy of their credit report from each of the major bureaus once a year. So put it on your calendar to request a copy of your file every three to four months, each time from a different credit bureau. And then you should dispute any unauthorized or suspicious activity. Now, next, the IRS will never call or email you. Be on the lookout for phishing phone calls or emails from the fake IRS. The email may even have a realistic-looking sender address, but it's not from the IRS. and probably contains, you know, if it's an email with an attachment or a link, it's probably, it probably is full of malware. If you have any doubt whether a, a contact from the IRS is authentic, you can call the IRS customer service. And finally, if you think you're a victim of tax return fraud, you should contact the IRS. If you receive a notice from the IRS that leads you to believe that someone has used your Social Security number fraudulently, contact the IRS immediately. Okay, so now once you know you are the victim of tax return fraud, here's the things you can do. First, file form 14039. And this is the identity theft affidavit that formally reports fraud to the IRS. Once they get this form, the IRS will issue you that IP pin. That's the identity protection pin if you don't already have one. And then when you have this IP pin, the fraudsters won't be able to, you know, submit a tax return in your name. Next, file form 4506. And this is um, the form that tells you whether a person's already filed a tax refund in your name. It, it, it costs about $50 and it gets you a copy of that return. And now this information can be shared with your local police who may be able to use it to track down the people who stole your tax refund. And finally, get free credit reports uh, from the bureaus. Monitor and freeze your credit report. Like I mentioned earlier, a credit freeze allows you to restrict access to your credit report and protects your personal information. That's a wrap of today's Safety Plan episode. 
If you have questions or have been a victim of a cyber scam, tell me about it by emailing lccinfosec at lcc.edu. You can find more info at lcc.edu slash connect. This episode of The Safety Plan was recorded by Paul Schwartz in the TLC Tower in downtown Lansing Community College and produced by Lane Ingram and engineered by Big D Dedalia. I'm Paul Schwartz, and this is LCC Connect. So long. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.